Good Good evening and welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Tonight I promise you we're going to talk about film scores because I figured, you know what, after talking about Beetlejuice, that iconic score that opens the movie, okay? And I thought, you know, my late professor, she would teach us about art and music and, and how essential the music is to the film. Why is that important? Just think Just think of certain movies without the score. Yes, No Country for Old Men didn't have a score. Or it did, but it didn't have music throughout the movie, which was kind of strange. And then you think of There Will Be Blood, which had a crazy score that fit perfectly into the context of There Will Be Blood. And... a. Uh, you know, upon talking about Beetlejuice, I thought of that score immediately. I listened to it. I listened to an orchestra do it conducted by the man who wrote the score himself. Um, and then, you know, I was thinking of the, the Jaws score. You know, the building of that score. The intensity of, of Jaws. The Exorcist, that's a scary one right there, just the score alone, you know. um, Scores are interesting, and that's why we're talking about them. You know, from the Psycho score, you know, that score, if you think about it, and it's been sampled, Buster Rhymes sampled it, he's a rapper. Um, The Beatles have said that Eleanor Rigby basically is a copy of the psycho score you know because they figured they needed a piece of music that was dark you know and then let's segue over to lawrence of arabia that score david lean his epic movies the scores that's that's the beauty of an epic movie okay you think of bridge over the river Kwai, the score you think of lawrence of arabia the score Dr. Zhivago, the score, you know, um, and, and that's the importance without those scores, would the movie really fly as it did? You know, an example of this also is you look at modern filmmaking, you look at something like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And the score is a modern score, you know, um, where the, I think it's called a chase around South America, you know, um, and it's got background singers and it's but it's this this whimsical music. And then you, of course, have raindrops keep falling on my head, an integral moment where Paul Newman, you know, is he's got that bicycle and he's like, welcome. This is the future. And they're eating an apple and the whimsical nature of, you know, raindrops keep falling on my head and the fun of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And then, you know, another movie of Redford and Newman or Newman and Redford is The Sting. That score, you know, the ragtime. And everyone has copied that. And that's how iconic that score is from The Sting, you know? Um, Taxi Driver. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And the gentleman who wrote the score, I wish I had his name in front of me. Um, 
died, I think, right before the movie was released. That score of Taxi Driver is intense. Right when the movie opens, you know, to the Godfather score, which strangely enough was conducted by Francis Ford Coppola's father, Carmine Coppola. So everyone within the Coppola family was within, you know, it's the sauce. Everyone is in the kitchen making the sauce. You have Carmine Coppola. You have, you know, um, what is it? Sofia Coppola makes her debut in the Godfather movie as the baby that's being christened, you know? So that's that's part of the movie-making aspect is these scores, The Untouchable score. I would be remiss if... And I'm going to get a little choked up talking about this. Because I adored... I never met him. But I adored the work of Ennio Morricone. Ennio Morricone, to me, is a god. He is a true rock star. If you think of the scores that he did from, you know, um, the Spaghetti Westerns. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly... Sergio Leone and Ennio Morricone had known each other since childhood. And you think of those score, you know, Two Mules for Sister Sarah, Death Rides a Horse, The Untouchables, Once Upon a Time in America, Kill Bill, Inglorious Bastards. And of course, the score that won Ennio Morricone the Academy Award, and that is The Hateful Eight, which I'm rewatching in the episodic version because there's the film version and then there's an extended version that's on Netflix. Isn't that interesting? And those scores that Ennio Morricone did are intense. That is the beauty of music coming into film the beautiful marriage of music and film and at the beginning of film you know with the silent films they had the piano score there was no dialogue in the films if it was oh i take that back there was because there was the cue cards and the dialogue was on the screen there but there was no spoken word yet it wasn't until 1928 with the jazz singer. So you did have these musical scores that basically were whimsical, told the story of the film. You know, if it was a Buster Keaton comedy, it was piano music. It was whimsical. It, If it was like a German or a, a Swedish silent film about death, then it was a very dark um, musical score. And that's the thing about these scores is that they give the film a life without just think of jaws without the score just think of the shark roaming about without that john williams score or even um close encounters of the third kind without that score with the aliens star wars think of star wars opening without that score how iconic is that how the movie would have never done that well without the scores. Gone with the Wind. Think of that score. When you hear that score, you know immediately what they're talking about. If you hear it on the radio, you know, oh, that's the Gone with the Wind score. 
you know, or even Casablanca. I think a lot of us, when we hear as time goes by, we immediately think of Casablanca. Right there, the song, the song, you know, the song and the score. Um, And a good example of that is Barbara Streisand. Look at Barbara Streisand. Barbara Streisand is the first woman to win an Oscar for writing the music in her own film. A Star is Born. You know, and how she didn't do more music, you know, I mean, the way she did that, you know, great filmmaker, great actress, a triple threat. And I think that's the interesting thing is, you know, she began as a singer and then transitioned her way into an actress and then a director and then a composer producer you know it all fits it's the the, you know we talk about the motion picture arts and sciences and what it takes to make these films john williams think of the et score think of schindler's list he won an academy award for schindler's list think of saving private ryan how the score what they did is when Saving Private Ryan opens, all you hear is the gunfire. You hear the war. It is not until after that the score starts to play as everything starts to wash up on the beach. And that's an iconic moment in film. And so I thought, you know, these scores just mean so, so much. You think of To Kill a Mockingbird, that score, you know. In the heat of the night, the 1960s were a very, very tumultuous time. And it was about the music in the movies, the movie and the music, everything. You know, you look at Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and, you know, it's whimsical and it's dramatic at the same time. A lot of these films, you know the score right there I'm thinking of a few in my head you know there's the um, because there's so many different scores you know there's the Pulp Fiction score isn't that that's really modern right there the 1990s you know um, what is it the other one I'm thinking of um not the Untouchables, because that's the '80s. Um, I'm thinking of that movie Kaiser Soze. You know what I'm talking about? Um, that score right there. You know, um, the Shawshank Redemption, great score. Um, there's so many of them. You know, yeah, I may be at a loss for words, but when you hear those scores, what does it do to you? That's the important thing of these movies, you know? And so I thought, let's talk about a movie within all of this that has everything. The score, the film, the acting, you know, um... I'm going to say The Silence of the Lambs. Because that score right there is so menacing. It's so dark. 
And then you think of what's going on in the Silence of the Lambs. Hannibal Lecter, Clary Starling. This is the 1990s. And how the score ebbs and flows as it builds up. How Clary Starling rises to the occasion. And the score goes along with it. You know, the movie wouldn't work if it didn't have that score. You know, whenever she's talking to Lecter. Um, Another example, Terminator 2. Terminator 1 was big, but Terminator 2 was even bigger. Think of that score. When you hear that score, what are you thinking? Ah, that's Terminator 2. Judgment Day. And how the score is just, it's right there. It's everything. It's brass. You can hear it. It's intense. You know, I could even say that about Midnight Express. Midnight Express is such a shocking film. And we just lost Alan Parker. Alan Parker was a brilliant filmmaker. And Midnight Express, when I first heard the score, and it was done by Giorgio Marauder, who worked with Donna Summer, that is an electronic, intense score. You know, there's so many of those. You think of, and I had just watched this recently, Chariots of Fire, that score. How iconic is that? And it was released as a single, and it's and it's an instrumental. You know, these scores live with us. They become a part of us. You know, they become our favorite pieces of music. The Dark Knight. That score, Dogs Chasing Cars, where it highlights the Joker, played by Heath Ledger. And then we could also talk about Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, that moment in the bathroom. And, and if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to spoil anything, but there's a moment where the music starts to play and he starts to dance. He starts to put stretch his arms out like he's doing ballet. It's all about the score. And that's what we need to highlight is that without these scores, the film would not work. You know, I mentioned Downtown Abbey on Sunday. That TV series, that score, when you hear that score, and even in the movie, in the movie, it it just made the hairs on my arm stand up. And I figured, you know, let's end the show talking about a score that I love so much that it is a ringtone, that when I hear that score, I smile... I think of the love of the film, a lot of a loss in this film, but it's about, and I know, you know, comic books, a lot of you, oh goodness, I'm not just about comic book movies, but I figured let's end the show talking about an iconic score right now, and when you hear it, you know what I'm talking about, because then you, you see them all in formation remember the first movie as they're all in formation and and the camera pans around i'm talking about the avengers score there's something to be said about that score when i hear it i immediately think of all of the movies okay and when the movies start the feeling that you get 
The audience claps when they hear that Avengers score, whether it's at the beginning or the end of the film. Okay. And how each Avenger has their own score. Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, you know. Um, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. The, you know, look at the Guardians of the Galaxy and how they used modern songs to tell the story. And Captain Marvel did that as well. I don't think Captain Marvel gets the love that it really deserves. And Brie Larson as Captain Marvel. That's the other thing is when you have someone, you know, it's very rare to have an Academy Award winner playing a superhero. It's very rare. They almost did it with Nick Cage playing Superman, you know. But these scores, you know, they say a lot about the films. And also the popular music within the film. Now I'm going to talk about, I figured I don't want to just end with the Avengers. In 2006, after many, many losses, Martin Scorsese finally won his Academy Award for The Departed. Some people have an issue with that. I don't. And I'm going to tell you something. The way The Departed ended... The score and The Departed. The Departed is so... The first time watching it, you are truly on the edge of your seat. You don't know what is going to happen. And just when you think you think you know what's going to happen, it flips on a dime. And the score right there. And that's the beauty of Martin Scorsese's films. Is that, yes, they have the popular music in the film. Usually it's the Rolling Stones. But... You know, these these movies are very, very important. I didn't like um, The English Patient, but the score, the score is pretty heavy. That That's the thing that I remember about it. That, and I used to get, one time I think I wasn't, I was under the weather, and I thought I heard the Gandhi score in The English Patient, and then I realized, oh no, that's Gandhi. Gandhi has a very interesting score. Ravi Shankar, you know, they pulled out all the stops to do that, to to really highlight and to enhance the vision of the movie Gandhi, about Mahatma Gandhi. You know, Ben Kingsley's performance, and you've got this music playing, it's just amazing, you know? And that's what these films, you know, we really have to highlight that. Not just the superhero movies. You know, um, when I hear certain scores, like Ennio Morricone. Ennio Morricone and Quentin Tarantino, that is a perfect marriage right there. Because that is along the lines of what he would do with Sergio Leone. And I think of, there's a moment in Kill Bill where she's... Now, if you've never seen the movie, forgive me, where she's buried alive, remember that? And that music starts to play. And she says, all right, Paime, here I come. And she starts to try to break through that coffin. And that music is building. That is Ennio Morricone. The beauty of that music. If you wouldn't have that moment building without the score of Ennio Morricone. 
The same could be said about probably one of my favorite fight scenes in a Tarantino movie, and that's in Kill Bill 1, the fight between Oren Ishii and the bride, where they face each other. That is a Mexican standoff from far and wide right there, where she calls out to her. She says, you know, in Mandarin, Oren Ishii, you and I have unfinished business, and that score starts to build. Now, it was a score from another movie, Death Rides a Horse, and the way Tarantino put that in there was brilliant. It truly built. Without that score, you wouldn't feel what you feel in Kill Bill. And then, of course, you have Battle for Honor and Dishonor, you know, with the guitars. That is the whole movie, you know, from one to two, because it really is one movie. And then, of course, you've got Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction, that score right there, it's very modern. Got the guitars, you know. You think of the music that he selected for the movie. You know, Tarantino and movies, and he has talked about, he used to put a record, and that was a scene for him. That's how he learned his art of filmmaking. So, I thought, you know, we got to give Ennio Morricone love. Because that's a huge loss. He could have he could have kept going on, you know, and the sad thing is people in their 90s, you know, that's what they're susceptible to is falls, you know, um, pneumonia, COVID. But, you know, Ennio Morricone, I mean, the good, the bad and the ugly. That score is probably one of the most iconic because people have used it in commercials. People have parodied it. And that is the brilliance of a true musician, a true conductor. And so I want you to take away from these scores, you know, like Beetlejuice. That's, that is such an iconic score or Nightmare Before Christmas. These are movie moments musically. And you hear them. You know, the Wizard of Oz, you, you think of that somewhere over the rainbow. The, there is, you know, yes, there is a difference between the song and the score but just think though if that wasn't in the movie there's certain moments that you know things have to be in there you know you look at the sound of music and how when the opening and it's you know to the sound of music the song itself and how at first it's just instrumental it's slow and then it builds and then you see julie andrews twirling on that mountain and you're like here we go and then the music starts and boom she starts singing that's what these movies that's the importance of music in these movies not just the score but the song as well i should say that so And so we got cut off because I went over the maximum limit. Um, Dr. Zeus podcast, Dr. Zeus film podcast, film scores. You know, these scores, they're iconic. They're moments I don't think we'll ever forget. And I want to dedicate tonight's show to Ennio Morricone. The memory, the legend of Ennio, Ennio Morricone to me is a rock star. I don't think he would like that. 
But those scores, I mean, you got to think about it. The Untouchable score is playing in my head right now. And then transition to something like The Hateful Eight. When I first heard the score, I all I was thinking is, uh, something's going to happen here. How that score just kind of builds. You know what I mean? And that's the beauty of Ennio Morricone. Those Kill Bill movies would not be what they are without Ennio Morricone. Okay? And... You know, he, he received his honorary Oscar in 2007, and then he finally won a competitive Oscar. That's rare. Only Paul Newman and a few others have done that, where you win an honorary Oscar, and then you get your competitive. You know, uh, but we're talking about film scores. But Paul Newman would know something about film scores because he was also a director. You know, Rachel, Rachel, um, Summer Wishes, Winter Dreams... You know, so just take that with you. These film scores. Now, I can't picture Ennio Morricone doing the Avengers. And that's just as well. Do you know Ennio Morricone never did the score to a Clint Eastwood movie? And here's why. He said he liked Clint. He had worked with Clint, you know, in the Sergio Leone movies. But he felt... That he would upset the memory of Sergio Leone working with Clint. So it was nothing against Clint. It was, I guess, a loyalty that Ennio Morricone had. You know. So wherever you are, maestro. Brilliant. Bellissimo. Unpleasant dreams. <laughs>